0: listening to expand your horizons the podcast for english language teachers and wanderlust indulgers this is lauren and shannon teacher training duo of teflhorizons.com each week we bring you teaching advice travel tips and inspiring stories from around the globe here's to making this big world a little smaller by connecting esl teachers everywhere Welcome to episode three of Expand Your Horizons, the TEFL Horizons podcast. This is Shannon, and Lauren is here too. Hi. And in the last episode, we talked about reasons why you should get some really good training before you start teaching. Um, Hopefully, we convinced you. So in this episode, we want to talk more about what to do once you've actually made that decision. We're thinking of this episode as, so you want to get certified. (laughs) And what we want to talk about is, basically, once you've made that decision that you want to get a certification, what happens next? Where do you go from here? Um, So Lauren, what would you say is the very first step um, in terms of what to do once you've decided for sure that you want to get a a TEFL certification?
1: I think that most people would probably start with uh, some sort of Google search with TEFL certifications, Um, and a lot of things will probably uh, pop up. We talked about those in the last episode, about uh, a TEFL certification, or TEFL certifications in general, uh, and then uh, types of TEFL certifications, such as CELTA. Um, so no big surprise that we're going to be talking a lot about CELTA today. Shannon and I are CELTA trainers, um, and we believe in that. But let's talk a little bit about um, how to vet a certification. So you've done some internet research, and uh, several certifications have popped up. There are some. Um, that are are uh, cheaper. Uh, so I would say that they probably range anywhere from like a hundred to a few thousand dollars. Um, and while it's tempting to do the $100 dollar one, um, I would say uh, you need to you need to be really careful um, and really selective about what type of certification that you get. Um, and so here's some criteria uh, in our opinion. Um, make sure that the certification, Uh, not only focuses on methodology, which that $100 online certification would, um, but also includes assessed classroom practice um, with real students. By assessed, what we mean is as you're teaching um, in a classroom with real non-native speaking students, your trainer, your assessor, is in the back of the room watching you and evaluating you and ready Mm -hmm. to give you advice after the lesson.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I think so Lauren was mentioning those online hundred dollar certifications. They are tempting. They're sort of the siren song of like the cheap, quick certification. But I think what you have to what you have to think about in this scenario is that cost and worth are probably two very different things. Um, and I think there honestly there's probably not that big of a difference between that one hundred dollar online certificate and And nothing. You know, like you can find a job. You can find a job in China right now with no certificate. Absolutely. It's not going to be a great job. It's probably not going to be the job you want. Um, But getting that $100 certification isn't really going to qualify you for anything more than that. Exactly. There's a big... A big gap, I would say, between that level and between the level that we're talking about right. in this episode.
1: Right. And uh, in our experience, uh, the there are only, there are only a couple of certifications that we know of that have assessed classroom teaching practice. Yeah. One of them is the CELTA, obviously. <laughs> We've said it before, um, and the other one is the Trinity. Um, and those are both uh, easily Googleable. Not a word. Yep. It is now. We're English teachers. We can make up words. Um, and so, yeah, so I would say, say definitely uh, look into one of those. Um, there are also certifications that are uh, connected to universities. So, for example, uh, if you were to go to, I don't know, let's say uh, the Boston University, and um, Their ESL department would likely have a certification connected with them, but unless you're getting that certification from a school that has a huge international reputation such as Harvard, people aren't going to really value that piece of paper, or your employers internationally are not going to really value that piece of paper um, very much. And you'll also have to explain what that certification included. So you'll have to say that it included uh, methodology and it included classroom practice or it included whatever. Whereas getting the the Celta or or the Trinity, it's understood. It is a unified, it's the same certification worldwide, whether you do a Celta. Uh, in Boston or in London um, or, or Argentina. in Argentina yeah, or in Budapest, <laughs> wherever, right, exactly. Yeah. It's the same certification and it's, it's, uh, it's well known. Exactly. So that is actually, it's weird, I guess, to say that you're paying
0: for the reputation, but you kind of are. And that's actually yeah. a good thing is yep. that I know it's it's tempting to pay less money for something that seems like the same thing, but it's really not. So like the quality of training is one thing and that's a big thing. Um, that I think we we addressed a lot in the previous episode. But the other thing is just, do you really want to spend the rest of your career, or even whatever process um, you have to go through in applying for jobs, do you really want to spend that time explaining and justifying what the certification that you got is and right. why it's okay? Exactly right. Whereas if you get something um, that you vetted, if you get something like the CELTA or like the Trinity TESOL, which is really the only sort of recognized equivalent to CELTA, you don't have to do that. Like It's on your resume. It speaks for itself. It does. Any other certificate, including the certifications that you can get through university, you're going to have to explain them.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: And the quality of training might be just as good, might be. um, But again, you're going to have to tell everybody who interviews you what what that is
1: Uh, this is a good time also to address like uh, whether or not uh, you should pursue a bachelor's degree or a master's degree as well so uh, you will notice that on a lot of um, websites if you are applying for a CELTA they will say bachelor's preferred Um, and the reason for that is that uh, internet if you're applying for um, an international work visa most countries actually require you to have a bachelor's degree in order to work in their country um, so uh, the CELTA you can uh, think of as like an entry level bachelor's level certification. Um, so uh, it's it's not a, a matter of either or. If you have a background in whatever and you have a bachelor's degree, great. That will allow you to be able to work in another country, and then the CELTA will prepare you to be in a classroom. Exactly. Um, and then also if you're if you're wondering if you should get a CELTA versus a master's in TESOL, I would absolutely recommend the CELTA first um, because if you are going straight from an undergrad into a master's of TESOL and you have no classroom teaching experience, your TESOL is going to be based highly on theory. A lot of the programs, not all of them, but a lot of them are heavy in theory and not so heavy in classroom practice. So again, you're going from your bachelor's to a master's and then what do you do after your master's? You get a job in a classroom, but you've actually never really taught that much. So I would highly suggest the, the CELTA or the Trinity before that. Then get into a classroom, see if you like it. If you love it, well then great, pursue a master's. Exactly. And I think uh, MAs
0: are great. I'm not. We're not saying that they're a waste of time <laughs> by any means. Uh, that Having that piece of paper really does help to qualify you for a lot of other things down the line. Absolutely. Like if you want to work in academic management, if you want to come back to the States and have any sort of university type um, teaching English job, having an MA is, is really, really helpful. The issue is that they're not always, as Lauren was saying, terribly practical. So while you do get a lot of great theory, you do get a a really nice, um, useful diploma in terms of actually learning what you need to do in the classroom. That's where CELTA or Trinity TESOL, like some sort of really good solid certification is, is going to help. Yeah.
1: Again, and so not to be a dead horse here, but a certification with classroom practice. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Um, And we're going to,
0: in a future episode, talk all about uh, the benefits, pros and cons, basically, of getting an MA in TESOL, if that's something that you're thinking about, versus other sort of higher level, very specific TEFL certifications, like post-CELTA certifications. So stay tuned for that in a future episode. Uh, for now, we just want to talk about that first sort of initial certification. And so we're assuming at this point that we're not talking about an MA. We're talking about like sort of an entry level specific teaching certification. Right.
1: right. So, uh, OK, so you, you've you done your online research. You have found a certification that you uh, feel meets meets your needs. Um and hopefully has some classroom practice in there as well. (laughs) Um, and so then your next step would be the application process. And Shannon's going to walk you a little bit, uh, through, um, what that entails. Right. So first
0: question that a lot of people I think ask themselves is why do you even have to apply? Like, isn't this a situation where like I pay my money and I get to take my certification course? Kind of, not exactly. Um, that actually should be sort of a red flag to you. If if that's all it is, if you're able to just pay the money and and start, then it's probably not the best quality certification that you can get. Um, If we're talking about something like the CELTA or like Trinity, um, what's going to happen is that there is actually quite an involved application process. And the reason for that is that These are expensive. They're more expensive certifications typically. And they do require a lot of time and a lot of energy that you need to invest. And so the companies and the organizations that are offering these certifications, they want to make sure that you actually do have a chance of succeeding. So these are pass-fail certificates. Just because you've been accepted, just because you've paid your money, does not necessarily guarantee that you're going to pass, that you're going to succeed, and that you're going to achieve certification. So these companies want to make sure that anybody who is undertaking this actually has a chance, um, a good chance, of succeeding at this. So basically what they're looking for when you apply is that you are somebody um, who who can succeed in this program and that this program is a good fit for you. Right, exactly. Yeah. um, So that's really the reason why you have to go through this whole process of applying and interviewing and all of this. So. Basically, uh, what they're looking for, as I said, they're looking to make sure that you are a good fit for the program. Uh, That might first, very first thing, that might mean that you have a a good enough level of English um, to actually apply or to actually succeed on the course typically what they require is at least a c1 level of english so that's like an advanced level of english so if you're a native speaker that's sort of assumed (laughs) that comes with the with the package Um, if you're a non-native speaker that means that you you can prove somehow either through um, exam results or through your level of written english Mm -hmm. and spoken english um, on your application and in your interview uh, that you have at least a C1 level of English. And if you're a non-native speaker, you probably know what what that is.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, that being said, uh, for non-native speakers, uh, proficiency also applies uh, in your application process. So um, just because you speak English <laughs> um, doesn't necessarily mean that you know grammar in a way uh, that uh, that you'll need to be able to teach it in the future. So exactly. the application process also includes grammar for native speakers. Yep,
0: exactly. And typically the application will include sort of what you might expect for a typical job application. Like there will be fields to fill out things like, you know, your personal information, name, date of birth, um, residence, it will also ask you probably some questions about um, your previous experience, yep. uh, work experience. It might ask you to upload a resume or a CV. Um, and if you don't have any experience teaching English already, that's OK. Uh, that's not necessarily what they're looking for. They just want to get a sense of why you want to do the course. Yeah. Um, so even if you've never traveled before, you've never taught before, that's fine. Um, Just somehow put in there that that's something that you want to do. Exactly. (laughs) They might ask you a question like, you know, why do you want to teach? Or where have you traveled before? Or what languages do you speak? If you don't speak other languages, if you haven't traveled before, that's fine. They just want to get a sense that you are somebody who is interested.
1: In this industry, overall, yeah. Sometimes at that point in the interview process, if the person doesn't have uh, previous teaching experience, I do ask them a little bit about their previous language learning experience, because most people learned at least like you know high school Spanish or something. And even if their experience wasn't um, positive, uh, we can talk a little bit about why. Uh, and what they remember from their lessons and what they would uh, would have done differently if they were the teacher. And that gives us sort of an idea as to uh, how you think about language learning in general.
0: Right, right. So even if you've never studied another language before, even if you've never traveled and you're not planning to travel, I mean, maybe you're, you're hoping to stay in the U.S. and teach English um, domestically, I think that at the very basic level they just want to make sure that you are somebody who is at least interested in language or yep. <laughs> language <laughs> teaching and on culture. some level yep. and culture um, and working with people at some level um, so those are the kinds of things that you'll want to indicate somehow and there will be space for you to do that um, so that's part of the application typically is that sort of basic information that you're filling out the other thing that the application process usually includes is something called the pre-interview task or something similar to that. We touched on this in the last episode, but if you, if you didn't hear, what it is is basically almost a little test or a yeah. quiz. Yeah. And usually there will be some questions included about grammar or language analysis. So there might be some questions about identifying um, where the stress is in different words, the syllable okay. stress. Or maybe you'll be given two very similar sentences, and you'll have to analyze how they're similar and how they're different, and maybe even think about some teaching ideas, how you might go about explaining that difference to a group of English students. Um, The pre-interview task also typically includes an essay. Very commonly, the essay topic will be something like, describe what makes a successful English lesson, or describe what makes teaching effective,
1: or something like that. Right. Um, And we encourage you uh, to take your pre-interview task seriously. Uh, Some people uh, think that it's optional, and so they fill it in halfway, or they don't check their answers. You are allowed to use resources um, when you do your pre-interview task. So access uh, an online dictionary or grammar resources in order to check your work. Um, If you do use an online... Uh, if you do use a resource, you can just uh, uh, mention it in the comments below uh, that you used a certain resource.
0: Yeah, it's actually totally fine and often encouraged um, to use sources. Yeah. So to open a grammar book and to do a little bit of research on what the language is that you're analyzing, um, centers often encourage that. So it's yeah. to them, it's a good sign that you opened a book and that you actually right. looked some of this up.
1: Because, by the way, that's what teachers do as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I think that's where a lot of people get, a lot of applicants get um, intimidated is that they see these questions about grammar and they think, oh my God, I don't know anything about grammar. I suck at this. I don't know how to do this. Never mind. Um, Don't let that be the thing that stops you. So honestly, most CELTA providers, most interviewers, most CELTA trainers, we understand that especially native speakers coming onto the CELTA course don't know anything about grammar, right? And it's not our fault. Like I don't know about you listening, but I wasn't really taught grammar in school. Most of the people I know who are native speakers were not taught grammar in school.
1: Because we didn't need to learn it as a second language. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Like you just learn it implicitly. You sort of inherently pick these things up. Like you don't ever need to sit down and analyze the past perfect continuous. Like you just figure out how to use it without even realizing that that's the specific tense that you're using. yeah. Um, and so it's assumed that you don't know grammar coming in. However, the pre-interview task, what it's meant to do is kind of get get a a read, I guess, on who's willing to figure it out, right? So like they don't want you to know everything or they don't expect you to know everything necessarily, but they do expect you to be willing to figure it out. Right. So they expect you to be willing to try and they expect you to be willing to, you know, if you need to open a book and get a little bit more insight. Right. So that's that's all you really need to do is do your best, um, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be perfect, but give it a good effort.
1: Yeah, that's that's a, that would that's a really good advice, actually.
0: And um, that leads us to the next phase of the application process, which is that what happens next is typically an interview where you talk about this pre-interview task with your interviewer, among other things. And Lauren, how does that usually go?
1: So likely, the the center will reach out to you um, via email and set up an interview time um, between you and and your interviewer. Your interviewer will be uh, a CELTA trainer. so you often you will probably have the option of doing an, uh, a phone interview or an in-person interview um, honestly uh, either one is fine they're, yeah. they're, it, preference isn't given to people who come to the center however if no. you you know if you want to you know, see the center get a better sense of, of where it is and things like that then an in-person interview is fine however uh, uh, phone interviews are usually a lot easier to set up Yeah. Um, if you are abroad and you're uh, uh, intending to take the CELTA in another country, uh, you can also set up a Skype interview. So no problems there.
0: Yeah, all these things are fine. As Lauren was saying, like there's no yeah. benefit to no. doing in-person Absolutely versus phone not. versus Skype. It really doesn't matter. No,
1: but more important than how you do the interview is how you prepare for it. So um, it <laughs> a CELTA interview is almost like a job interview. We are interviewing um, candidates in order to see if they'll be a good fit for the program, um, and the reason we do that this is that we don't want to set someone up for failure. So uh, the interview process is as important as the application process. Uh, for your the day of your interview, have your application in front of you uh, mm-hmm. because your um, the interviewer will be kind of walking through that with you and asking you uh, follow up questions on that. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, how to prepare for the interview. I would say the first thing is definitely go through your um, pre-interview task um, and make sure that you remember your answers. Um, The interviewer will start probably by asking you a little bit of background about yourself, like Shannon said before. Um, uh, You can talk about uh, language teaching experience if you have it, language learning experience, also previous work experience. important here is to um you don't you don't need to go on and on and on you can keep it short right but give us give us kind of um an idea as to why you want to do celta why you think you're a good fit for the celta program
0: exactly and if you
1: don't know if you're a good fit for the celta program go online before and read about it and uh, figure out why you think that um, you would be or the celta would be a good fit for you
0: Right. It's okay not to know everything about the program at that point. It really is. Um, The interviewer is not expecting you to. All the interviewer is really expecting at that point is that you know at least why you want to take some sort of certification, and you know why you're interested in teaching. Exactly. So if you can talk about what it is that led you to want to teach and what it is that led you to at least want to apply for the CELTA program, uh, the interviewer can sort of lead you from there through what the program entails in more Mm -hmm. detail. Um, and then you can sort of discuss how you would be a good fit for the the program after that.
1: So some things to expect in that part of the interview. uh, The interviewer will walk you through a typical day on the CELTA and the demands of the course. Um, And if you've read anything online about CELTA, uh, it is a very, very demanding course. Um, And the interviewer might say this, three, four, ten times. Yes. Uh, believe them. Um, and one of the reasons they might keep on repeating it to you is they may have concerns that your schedule is too full to be successful on a Salta. So I would say good advice for the interview is to listen to your interviewer um, and listen to the advice that they're giving you and answer the questions to the best of your abilities when they ask you, do you have the ability to clear your schedule for a month? really think about whether you do or not because they're they're asking you for a reason they've they've done they've likely done 30 celtas and you're about to do your first one
0: right exactly so they know you know they've seen all the different candidates coming in and the challenges that those candidates face and you know what it really means to to need to have a a clear scheduler. They they know what the demands of the course are, basically. right. Um, by the way, if you don't know that much yet about the CELTA course, if it's something that you're interested in, or even if you're sort of starting the application process yourself, um, we have a free CELTA prep email course. So it's delivered completely over email. Uh, it's completely free, and it's really just more in-depth information on exactly what the CELTA course is entails what the different schedule options are, more information about uh, the application process and interviews, and a lot more information about what you can do to prepare for the course before you take it. Um, So if this is something that you want to know more about, um, that's definitely something for you. Um, So if you go to tuplehorizons.com and then uh, scroll down to the free CELTA prep course, it's called Ready, Set, CELTA. uh, That is something that you'll you'll probably benefit from in terms of getting a lot more information about um, what to do pre-CELTA. It'll sort of give you a leg up on
1: how to not only succeed, but like <laughs> right. actually rock the CELTA course. Right. Uh, the yeah. last the last part of the interview or the third part of the interview will be um, going over your pre-interview task. So Shannon had mentioned that previously, yeah. that it includes a grammar section and then a, a little essay about um, teaching practices or your ideas about um, what an ideal language lesson looks like. Um, be prepared to answer questions about your your grammar answers. Uh, even the, the, I don't know, I guess best answers that we've gotten um, in pre-interview tasks, we still ask follow-up questions.
0: Exactly. And I think that's something that can be intimidating too, is it's tempting to... Um to sort of view the interview as like a big test, you know, like there are right and wrong answers. And if I say the wrong thing, I'm not going to get accepted. That's not really the case. Obviously there are right or wrong answers when it comes to the grammar and yeah. to the language analysis. Like, yes, if you've identified that verb tense incorrectly, you know, that's incorrect. <laughs> and the interviewer right. will probably correct you. Um, but that's, that's not the point in the way that most people think it is. So, yeah, one thing that the interviewer is looking for is um, – your language awareness and how much research you may have done and, and what you were able to get out of that research in terms of, you know, sort of getting some of the grammar stuff correct. But honestly, a big thing that the interviewer is looking for is your ability to take on feedback. So it almost becomes not as important whether or not you got stuff right, but more important in how you react to the feedback that you're getting on the interview. Exactly. Exactly. Um, If you listen to the previous episode, I told a story about the fact that my essay in this process was basically completely off. Like it really missed the mark. Um, I still got accepted. Like the the point was that my interviewer wanted to talk to me about it and see how I reacted to that more so than just the fact that like, oh, your essay, you know, wasn't what we were looking for. Therefore, you're not getting
1: in. Exactly. Exactly. So your ability to take feedback um, is really important. Uh, It's a really important part of success on the Celta as well. So that's something that your trainers will be listening for uh, in the interview process. Exactly. So let's say that you've gone through the interview. Anything else on the interview before we move on? I think that's it. I think really. so too.
0: Yeah, just coming at it with sort of this mindset that's really open to um, to getting feedback and and doing yeah. some preparation And it's okay beforehand. to ask questions
1: too. Please ask yes. questions if you have done the interview um, during the interview is absolutely the right time to do it. Exactly. Uh, your, again, your interviewer is a trainer and they will be able to answer your questions or point you towards resources that will help you before the course begins.
0: Right, right. That's a good point. And I don't actually know if we mentioned that before, that the person interviewing you is a CELTA trainer. They might not be the trainer that will be on your CELTA course, um, or your Trinity course, but whoever is interviewing you is a certified trainer for that program. Um, And so you can ask them questions and remember that the interview is, you know, making sure that you're a good fit for the program from both sides. So that means that the program wants to make sure you can succeed, but you also want to make sure that that you can succeed and that this is something you really want to invest in. So if you have questions, if something seems off or if you're not sure about something, this is a good time to ask.
1: Absolutely. So let's say, all right, so you've gone through the interview process, uh, the application process, the interview process, and you've been accepted. What comes next, what what to expect?
0: Right, so first of all, congratulations, <laughs> um, because not everyone gets accepted. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but that that's excellent. If you've gotten accepted, great. Uh, what typically happens next is that um, you will often be told in the interview that you've been accepted. Um, if that happens, The next step is typically that you'll be asked um, or at least given the option to pay something. (laughs) So to make the initial payment, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. uh, for the course. Um, Something really important to note is that if you are asked to pay at any point before this, at any point before you've been officially accepted, something's not right. right. Red um, flag, definitely. Exactly. So with these courses that we're talking about, really repeatable courses, you should not need to pay anything in order to apply. You should not need to pay anything in order to interview. You shouldn't need to pay anything at all until after you have been officially accepted and the interviewer has said um, you are accepted on the course. Yeah. Um, so the interview is free, and that's why it's another good idea to ask any questions you have then during the interview right. because at that point you can still walk away without having invested anything um, if for whatever reason you decide it's, it's not a good fit for you. Absolutely.
1: So that should be told to you in the interview, as Shannon said, and also followed up in an email after the interview.
0: Exactly. The email might not come immediately, but you should be getting an email very shortly. That's sort of your official acceptance letter. Exactly. Um, so once you've been accepted, that's when the first payment uh, option happens. If you're sure at that point that you want to take the course, um, it's a good idea to pay it. Um, because usually the courses that we're looking at here are, um, offered on a first come first served basis. So that means that even if you were accepted before somebody else, you know, who interviews maybe a week after you or something like that, if they pay that thing, that deposit or that course payment before you do, um, and the course fills up, they're gonna get that spot, yeah. and you aren't. Even though you were accepted before them, if they've paid before you, um, you know they they get priority. Okay. So if you're sure you want to do the course, that's a good time to um to finally make that first investment. And the interviewer should be able to tell you exactly how that works. So whether that's something that they can help you do over the phone, whether that's something that you can do online or um, there with them in person, whatever the situation is, they can help you make that first payment. And that is typically what officially holds your spot in the course. Um, so then you'll be official.
1: Right. <laughs> You've got your spot,
0: you're registered, you're in. Um,
1: and then what happens next? Right. Then it's about you getting ready for, for you getting ready for your Salta. Um yep. So in that email that I talked about, you'll likely be sent some sort of pre-course Something um, in the centers that Shannon and I have worked with, we send what's called a pre-course task that looks a lot like uh, the pre-interview task, but a little bit meatier, um, meaning a, a uh, has a little bit uh, more grammar, uh, a little yeah. bit more on language awareness, um, and that's that we send to trainees before the course begins um, yeah. for extra grammar uh, or language practice. Um, it's not meant to be turned in. We usually send it with uh, an answer key. Um, Which leads us to our next point about preparing. Once you've been accepted on (laughs) the CELTA, preparing for the CELTA. One of the things you need to do before your CELTA is prepare. Getting um, accepted isn't enough for success on the CELTA.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you, okay, you don't have to prepare. (laughs) There are plenty of candidates who get accepted and show up to the CELTA course and that's it. And they do okay. Um, The thing to know though, if, if we haven't made this clear already, is that These courses are really intense. Like the good courses, the courses we're talking about, like CELTA or Trinity, um, they're good for a reason. They have this reputation for a reason. And it's because it's a lot. So especially if you're doing a course option or a course schedule that's basically like the month-long intensive version of the course, it's an intense month. There's a lot. So you may have even realized in the interview just how much you don't know about grammar or about language awareness, Um, in which case, the more you can do before your course starts, the better position you're going to be in to actually be successful and to actually have the course be a little bit less stressful. Uh, There will be enough going on that the more you can do to prepare for grammar um, before you start, the more comfortable you're going to be. So you know, if you've got a couple of weeks, a couple of months, however long you have before your course actually begins, so between that time when you get accepted and when your course starts, um, do as much as you can in terms of preparing.
1: Right, and whether that's taking a, a free CELTA email prep course like Shannon talked about <laughs> before, or uh, getting online and rushing, getting online and rushing up on your grammar, it's a really good idea. Um, there are there are tons of resources online, yeah. and so if uh, you know, just a simple Google search will, will lead you to those. Um, also, uh, within the next month, uh, Shannon and I, t- through TEFL Horizons, um, are going to be offering a grammar course online. So more on that later, but uh, we're really excited to offer um, a grammar course that will help uh, trainees, once they've been accepted onto a CELTA, be more successful on the CELTA course.
0: Exactly. And we say this because almost every single candidate we've had um, when we trained on CELTA courses, almost every single candidate we had said, like, I wish I had known more grammar or I wish I had studied more grammar right. um, before coming into the course, just because it would have made things so much easier and so much less stressful. Um, and so this is something that we were really passionate about creating because we we just know how much of a need there is. Um, and yeah, you can... You can look through books. Um, You can do Google searches. I would say probably um, the stuff you just find through a search online is probably not the most reliable or most um, dependable or sort of thorough grammar information you can get. Or at Um, least not
1: aligned with uh, the like or Trinity methodology.
0: Right. Um, But looking at good grammar books is really helpful. So that's one really good thing to do. Um, If you would like, however, all of that stuff just sort of curated for you in terms of everything you need to know just delivered in one package, um, that's the grammar course that we're putting together. Um, That's going to be available in early February. And we
1: can also include um, our recommendation for a grammar book in our show notes. um, Exactly. Um, Actually, the
0: CELTA prep free email course has a bunch of of grammar books listed by name with links and everything that you can um, get them straight from there. So, yeah, good idea to do a bit of studying up on grammar, for sure. Also a good idea to really do that pre-course task that Lauren just mentioned. So um, it's a little bit different for every, every provider, CELTA provider and Trinity provider out there, but um, whatever that pre-course task is, your interviewer will probably tell you about it or it will be referenced in the acceptance email that you get. And it, it typically is a lot more involved than the, the pre-interview task. It's not like you sit down and you do it in an hour. Right. It usually takes hours. Um, but it is something to just work through bit by bit because it's great, a really great resource that just kind of gets, gets you in the right mindset. Yep. Like it asks you some questions about teaching, methodology, your teaching philosophy, and also a lot about language analysis. Um, maybe helps sort of guide you through some things that you might not have even thought about before.
1: Right. And again, I mean, if you know, until now you've, you've been thinking, you know, but I I speak with good grammar and, and I'm, I'm a good writer. I was, I was even in, you know, in English right. uh, or, you know, I have an undergrad in English. Yes. All of those things are the exact same things that I thought before I uh, became a, you know, a teacher as well but the way we teach grammar is different than the way we learn it as Shannon said before as native speakers. Exactly. So take this part seriously um, you know whatever resource you you access find, take it seriously take it from us. Yeah,
0: and it's up to you. All this is optional. You don't have to do any of this.
1: You don't have to do any of it.
0: <laughs> but um if you're already investing, you know, x amount of money in this course, why not take a little bit extra time and be that much better once you actually start it? You'll thank us. Yeah.
1: I mean, so we've looked at, you know, what happens when you're accepted. Um, so not everyone is. Right. Is the truth. Um, Unfortunately, and, but true. But true. And, and the reason is, is that the, um, the application process and the interview process are Quite intense um, for a reason. We don't want to accept anyone on the course, um, or we don't want to set anyone up for failure. Right. And so let's talk about some possible possible reasons why someone might be rejected from the course. Yeah. Uh, the course is open to native and non-native speakers of English. So one of the first reasons might be that your English level as a non-native speaker is not high enough. Right. Um, so we ask. Typically, we're asked you're asked to have a a level C one or above. So that's advanced or above. So a near native speaker
0: um, Mm -hmm.
1: to be accepted onto the CELT. And the reason for that, of course, is that you'll be teaching language. And so we don't want um, you to be at a disadvantage um, being given grammar points to teach that are uh, above your current level of of English.
0: Right. And that's not to say that somebody with a slightly lower level than that can't teach English somewhat effectively to people with, with a level below theirs, correct. Um, but the SELTA course, as we've said many times, is very intense. It's very fast-paced, um, and it's designed for somebody who is ready to be an English teacher. Yeah. Um, so basically, your interviewer just wants to make sure that your English level is at the point where it's not going to hinder you on the course. Right, and um, the, so it needs to yeah. be at least C1.
1: And the same applies for native speakers. We need to know that your language level is, uh, or that you're set up to be successful on the course as well. And that your language awareness or your ability to sort of look at language the way we do on the course um, is is to a certain standard. Shannon said it before, your answers on your pre-interview task do not need to be perfect. But uh, it's a good idea to show uh, an openness to feedback during your interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if someone hasn't, that would be a red flag for us as interviewers. Um, and one of the reasons that we might reject someone more often than not isn't necessarily a lack of language awareness, is a lack of openness to feedback about that language awareness. Right. Uh, Yeah.
0: So somebody is really, really defensive or they're not they're not listening, you know, if we're giving feedback and they're saying things like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Um, that's not a good sign because right. a huge part of the course itself is getting feedback on your teaching and being able to really hear that and internalize right. that.
1: It's it's a it's a training course, so no, nowhere along the way will you be tested on on your knowledge of something. It's it's your ability to take to take uh, information and apply it to to classroom practice. Mm-hmm. So being able to take on feedback is an essential. Part of the course, and we look for that in the interview. Right. So that might be one one reason that someone um, someone is rejected. Um, the last reason is that uh, the interviewer might doubt your ability to take on uh, that workload at that point in your life. Um, so we've said it before: the celt is intensive. Um, it's like doing a full-time job and a part-time job all at the same time for one month of your life and so mm-hmm. your interviewer will ask you if you have the ability to clear your schedule for that month or that given amount of time um, and if if you can't that will that would be an indication that that's not the right time in your life to, to take an intensive course um, as well as your ability to keep up with the intensity of the course um, it we're often teaching concepts that are applied almost immediately to the classroom. And so it is just a very, it's a very, very, very fast-paced course. Um, Your interviewer will tell you this a million times during the interview. um, And if you are somewhat hesitant about taking on that workload, that might be another reason why um, your interviewer would would reject you.
0: Right, exactly. And it, so it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a rejection of of you, it might just mean that your interviewer has concerns about your ability to cope with this particular level of intensity at this time.
1: Correct. And the good news is is that um, if if you were rejected for whatever reason, you can apply again. Exactly.
0: You can. Um, If you're applying at a completely different CELTA center or course provider, center. Um, they might not know that you had ever applied before or weren't accepted before. Um, if you're applying at the same center or with the same provider, obviously that might be something they have on record. That's okay. The fact that you were rejected once before doesn't necessarily bar you from being accepted the next time you apply. Um, you'll just want to consider maybe why it was that you weren't accepted the first time. Mm-hmm. So you can make sure to improve on that the second time. Um, so of course, if the reason for not being accepted the first time was your your language ability, so your level of English, um, you'll want to take some time and study up on English before applying again. Mm-hmm. So maybe take an intensive course, you know, maybe study with a tutor, um, you know, think about the feedback that you got in your initial interview and your initial application process, and then make sure you're trying to improve upon those things so that you can really be confident in your English level the next time you apply. If it was an issue um, in terms of your language awareness, whether you were a native speaker or a non-native speaker, but it was something to do with sort of your level of grammar understanding Mm -hmm. or something else that happened in the interview, you'll want to brush up on grammar. Um, So take a grammar course. You could take the online course that we offer. You could um, use resource books that the interviewer or that the course provider suggests. You know, study up on grammar, learn those verb tenses, learn that terminology so that you're more confident in that the next time you apply. Um, and then finally, if it was an issue of the workload, like the interviewer maybe had some concerns or some doubts about your ability to handle the course for whatever reason, come up with an action plan. So think about why exactly it was that the interviewer had some concerns. And you can even ask that question in your initial interview. Um, and then think of a, a plan for coping with that. So maybe you know, you're know you somebody whose writing ability isn't quite what the course provider expects, and so you had some typos, or maybe your essay wasn't as well-organized or as coherent as it needed to be. Um, you can come up with a strategy for that, right? Like You don't have to be the world's best writer in order right. to do well on the CELTA course, but you do need to have a plan. So maybe... You ask um, a friend or a family member or somebody to proofread your work or to help guide you in your writing on the course. You can tell that to the interviewer, that that's a plan that you have put in place, that you have this person who has agreed to help you in you know, XYZ way that is going to enable you to be more successful on the course. Yep,
1: exactly. Great.
0: Yeah. And you don't have to disclose if it's a a completely new provider that you weren't accepted before, that they don't need to know that necessarily. Um, But if that is something that happened to you in the past, that could be a concern in the second interview or the second application round as well. Um, So I think having that strategy in place and being really proactive about exactly how you plan to succeed on the course, like what specific things have you done or are you going to do to be successful, being proactive and telling your interviewer that is going to help you. Right, great, yeah. So, all right, um, that brings us to hopefully being accepted. Finally, uh, you've registered for the course. You are getting ready to start. Let's touch just a little bit on like, how do you show up? Um, what's some general advice for day one of the
1: course? Great. Um, so the first big thing would be i would say to come with a positive attitude and an open mind i know it sounds cliche <laughs> but um, a training program is so different than than what we're often used to right like if you're thinking of pursuing teaching perhaps you know you always loved learning you know you were a good student you went into a classroom and you learned what you needed to do and you studied for a test and you were tested on it and you got a good grade and you know training programs don't quite work like that, right? You're learning to do something. So it's like going to school to learn how to cut hair. You watch people do it and then you do it and you get better doing it. Or going to a first aid course. You can't learn how to do CPR or first aid by just reading about it in a book. You need to actually practice it. And so... Very hands-on. Yeah, so CELTA is the same way. It's very hands-on. So coming with that that open mind and that positive attitude and an openness to feedback is going going to be huge for uh, a a huge contributor to your success on the course.
0: Exactly, and I think it's worth noting that these courses are designed for people who have anywhere from zero seconds of teaching experience to years of teaching experience. Mm -hmm. Either way, you're going to want to come in open to whatever you're about to learn. So you might come in you know, not knowing anything. That's totally fine. Um, you might come in having been a teacher for years and years and having a very set way that you already do things. Um, and the things that you're learning on the course might match with that or might not match up exactly with that. And the key here is that you know whatever you learn on the course, the second you're done, the first day you're in the classroom by yourself, you can do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> it may or may not be successful, but you you can do whatever you want. Um, but while you're on the course, in order to be successful on the course, you're going to need to at least try it the way that you're being trained to try it. Absolutely. So you're going to need to be open to, even if it's not exactly what you were expecting or exactly what you've been taught
1: before, to just give it a shot. Because you know the nature of the course is that like you're not coming... It, you're not just coming to school to learn, right? It's almost like coming to your workplace. Um, mm-hmm. it, you want to show a, a degree of professionalism. Uh, your trainer is almost like your boss who's giving you advice and wants to see you develop in your in your craft. Um, so coming with that openness, your, your trainer is... I know it doesn't. It might not look like it at all times, but your trainer is on your side and wants to see you succeed. Yes. It's just that we're we're in the position of of training you and evaluating you, so it doesn't always. I know it doesn't always feel that way, um, but we certainly do want to to see you succeed on the course. Um, but even. Your trainers aren't your only resource on the course. The great thing is that you're not you're not on the course alone. There are, you know, 8 to, to 11 other people um, who are also being trained. Um, and they will soon become uh, the only other people probably uh, in your life that month of, <laughs> that <laughs> understand what you're going through. Um, the most successful courses that Shannon and I have trained on are ones in which the trainees... Really, um, it helped each other and came together as a group, um, and and formed bonds and started building a network of teachers. Um, yeah, they're still friends. They they're still connected professionally.
0: Exactly. Uh, so I think that goes along with coming with an open mind to try you know new teaching methodology, but also coming with a, an open mind in terms of just being ready to work with other people and collaborate with other people right. and make connections right. with the other candidates on the course.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, We talked a little bit about professionalism. So that also includes a dress. Um, We are fairly casual, but um, not, you know, I wouldn't say like jeans with holes in them or, you know, like T-shirts with big logos. But um, the ESL profession in in general is business casual or what we like to call smart casual. Um, So a, a trainer years ago when I first started teaching gave me the device. She said, I don't care. How you dress in your classroom, um, but I should be able to enter the classroom and know just by uh, just by your presence uh, that you are the teacher. Um, so professionalism goes goes far beyond how you're dressed. Please do take it seriously. Um, you know you will be in front of a group of, of students. Uh, you'll be their teacher, um, but it goes far beyond how how you dress. It's it's how you hold yourselves.
0: Exactly. And yes, um, as we've said many times, you're there to learn. So I don't think you need to try to fake, you know, that you already know everything or that, you know, try to prove how good you are by not asking any questions or anything like that. Definitely ask questions. Get as much as you can out of this training program because you paid for it. You know, you've invested in this program, so please get as much out of it as you can. But something to remember is that while it is a training program, it's not just a class. Like, it's not just a service. Mm. Um, it's not, again, the kind of thing where, you know, I've paid my money, therefore I deserve X, Y, Z. Um, it is sort of like a professional situation. It's a, yeah. it's a, cool, a school, sorry, it's a class. Um, but it's also kind of like a workplace. Right. As trainers, I think something that I've always looked at with um, my candidates on the course is, you know, yes, this is a training program. Yes, I'm training them. But one of the things I always have in the back of my mind is if I owned a language school, would I want to hire this person? Yeah. And the quality of teaching is one huge part of that. But professionalism is the other huge part of that. Like, can I trust this person to take responsibility yep. for their classroom, for their learning, yeah. for, um, you know, taking more of a leadership role with their colleagues or sure. for acknowledging their strengths and also acknowledging the areas where they still need to develop.
1: Yeah. Or, I mean, even do they come on time? You know, exactly. Do they turn in, in work that, that looks like they, they've put time into it and in consideration? Exactly. Do um, they fall asleep in the middle of the
0: session <laughs> right. or, you know, are they
1: alert and taking notes? Oh, right. So it's a good, good thing before day one to sort of um, chart your course to the center, you know, know, know how long it's going to take you, leave a little extra time, um, figure out parking if that applies to you. Um, you want to, you you don't want to be late on on the first day, especially. (laughs) Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And showing that dedication, showing that enthusiasm, you know, being excited to be there, happy to be there. It's totally fine to be nervous Everyone Every single is. day, if you're nervous, everybody else is nervous, too. They might just be better at hiding it. Um, it's OK to ask questions, you know, but just showing that, like, you are there to learn and you are open and you are willing to learn. That's, I
1: think, what we mean by professionalism. Absolutely. You know, it's funny because I get I've been teaching for 20 years and I still get nervous. Um every uh like every time I start a new course or with a new class like every first meeting with a group never goes away it doesn't get it doesn't go (laughs) away but I've gotten better at um you know hiding it covering it up um so don't you know everyone feels like that on the first day just come we will do getting to know you activities on the first day so don't worry don't worry
0: exactly it would be weird if you weren't nervous yeah (laughs) and something that um Actually, this was something that a candidate told me who I was interviewing uh, for a CELTA interview at one point over the phone. He told me that um, one of his sort of hobbies or side gigs was um, stand-up comedy. He was actually like practicing to be a stand-up comic. And he said something that he learned, which he was applying to what he expected to be his experience teaching, he said something that he realized was that there's a very fine line between nervousness or anxiety and excitement. Ah. And he said so every time he would have to get up and perform, he would be incredibly nervous, but he would just tell himself, it's excitement. It's the same thing. And I right. love that because I, I think of it the same way now when I'm teaching is that like, yeah, you're nervous, yep. but you're also excited, right? You get to do this new thing. You get to try this stuff out. You get to interact with your students. And so like, it, it's kind of the same. Absolutely. Right? So you're nervous, but you're hopefully excited too. Great. Yeah. So just to recap, um, if you have decided that you want to invest in some training, um, great. Great. <laughs> That's a good decision. Um, what you'll want to do is vet your certification program, um, make sure that it has real assessed teaching practice with actual ESL students, not just something where you're like teaching your peers on the course. Um, really, the only things I think that fit the model that we've talked about today are the CELTA course and the Trinity TESOL in terms of being like widely recognized, highly respected yeah. certification courses. Um, this is not counting master's programs necessarily or or bachelor's right. those are something for another conversation um, this will probably include an application that you need to fill out with some sort of pre-interview task or grammar test it should include an interview with a trainer in that program um, it should include acceptance or rejection so it should be something where it's not just automatically assumed that you will. You will get to take the course without being accepted into it. Um, and then it will include some sort of payment that is more than like a $50 Groupon fee. <laughs>
1: <Right>.
0: <laughs> yeah. Something more than that. Um, and then you'll want to make sure that you follow the tips that we have mentioned in order to do well on your interview and be prepared to succeed on day one. Great. And again, if this is something that you would like more information about, we do have that free CELTA prep email course. Um It's going to be delivered in a series of 10 different emails. So you don't need to do anything. You just register for it. You don't need to pay anything. um, And then the course will be delivered right to your inbox. You can get way more information on all of this stuff we just talked about. And um, yeah, look out for our grammar course that is coming out in February. Yep. Clearly, we are excited about both of these
1: things. (laughs) Uh, And again, thanks so much for listening.
0: Yeah, we we love having you here. Um, We love doing this podcast. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode coming out on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening. Your support means so much to us. Feel free to leave a comment below if you enjoyed this and let us know what you want to hear about in upcoming episodes. If you know other teachers and travelers, we'd love for you to share this podcast with them too, and tune in this coming Tuesday for our next episode. Until then, you can find us at teflhorizons.com. Let's keep making this big world smaller by expanding horizons.